Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. The sort of free agency, weird week of movement edition of the podcast. Happy to be joined, as always, by my partner, Miles Simmons. And, you know, we are going to spend about a third of our time on the two vagabond quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. And I think I mean vagabond in a good way. Then we're going to hear from C.J. Stroud, uh, my guest on this week's podcast, the Ohio State quarterback. Then we are going to go over the six most notable things, at least in our opinion, Miles Simmons, Peter King, in our opinion, in the first couple days of this open market. So in no particular order, Jimmy G to the Raiders. That is a good story. Fairly fascinating. The the short-termer who he is replacing, Jarrett Stidham, to the Broncos in a major surprise, along with Mike McGlinchey. Uh, The Dolphins trade for Jalen Ramsey. We're going to go over why that fits for both franchises. And I want to get into why in the world Mike White who's been a meteor across the NFL sky a little bit over the last two years, also signed with the Dolphins, leaving the Jets. Bears running wild, going through the forest, going crazy and making huge trades and trading for DJ Moore, finally giving Justin Fields his number one receiver, then going crazy in free agency, spending a lot of money on TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds, Um, to give themselves a huge boost at the linebacker position. The Niners, with the biggest surprise, I thought, they've already got one of the costliest defensive lines in football, and they added Javon Hargrave. So I've got a definite theory on why they went with Javon Hargrave here. And also, sort of an under-the-radar interesting signing of Sam Darnold. Uh, to fill out their quarterback room. Poor Sam Darnold. I think he's going to be like this generation's Josh Johnson. He's going to play for like 13 teams. I don't know if he's ever going to accomplish anything really great, but I think he's going to be in a lot of training camps and a lot of camps. And finally, we're going to get into the strange case of a very successful player, Austin Eckler, who does not want to play for $6 million dollars in 2023 for the Los Angeles Chargers. Miles Simmons, a weird week, I would say, but not an extraordinary week, quite honestly, because there just really wasn't a quality class of free agency to deal with. Yeah, Peter, and you've been saying that for the last few weeks, that this free agency class just is not necessarily something that we're all going to get excited about. And I think there's good reason for that. But, you know, as you said at the top, the, the two quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers are both the most interesting elements of what is going to happen this week and some of what's already happened this week. But I mean, the interesting thing is by the time we stop recording this, who knows where those two stories are going to be, right? And, and, you know, from that perspective, neither of those guys are technically free agents right now. And, you know, if you want to talk free agency, it's like, okay, well, where's this guy going to go? Where's that guy going to go? But until we know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson and with Aaron Rodgers, 
the rest of the dominoes are still just going to kind of stand upright and we'll see what happens after that. Well, why don't we start with Lamar Jackson? Because clearly he has been uh, incredibly well discussed, let's just yeah. say, over the last <laughs> six months um, with this incredulity that the Baltimore Ravens could not get him signed and and the sort of disbelief around the NFL that he really might, even as a restricted free agent, might get to the market. So we're recording this middle of the afternoon, Eastern time on Tuesday, March 14. And so on March 15 is the first time that Lamar Jackson can entertain suitors, can talk to other teams if he so chooses. How that will happen is going to be very weird because he does not have an agent, does not have anybody even somewhat representing him, uh, even in a part-time capacity. And so therefore, somebody, if they want to talk to Lamar Jackson and where exactly is that candidate, somebody is going to have to find a way to get to Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar Jackson, early Tuesday afternoon, put out a tweet in which he basically said, three years, 133 million guaranteed, and I need an agent. And so, you know, so you can see the tweet right here and fully guaranteed. But I, I do want to tell you just a couple of things, and Miles, I'm going to get your feeling on this. But um, nine days ago, eight days ago, excuse me, in my column, I wrote that the only, basically the only thing left for these two teams is a was a short-term, gar fully guaranteed contract. And mm -hmm. I suggested two years at like 90 million because, or maybe 92 million, uh, 46 million a year, because very simply, Lamar Jackson seemed to be intractable. And I say seemed to be because none of us have heard it from his mouth but right. seemed to be, uh, you know, affixed uh, to a fully, uh, getting a fully guaranteed contract only. So I said, okay, if you're the Ravens and you have no other options and you really do want Lamar Jackson to continue being your quarterback, then, then cut this whole thing in half. Give him a two-year guaranteed contract, maybe three, but probably two, and sell it to Lamar as saying, okay, listen, you know, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be a free agent again at age 28. And if you stay healthy the next two years, and, you know, which you have not been able to do the last two years, but if you stay healthy the next two years, you're going to get far more than you would if we gave you a totally fully guaranteed contract for the next five years. Because you'll be somewhere in the 60s, you know, on a fully guaranteed deal starting in 2025. But anyway, so it looks like, it sounds like, that now the Ravens have offered him a three-year fully guaranteed contract, which I guess I would say, well, you know, sometimes you do stuff that maybe you really don't want to do, but what are your options now? Every one of their other quarterbacks is gone. Every one of their other quarterback choices is gone. The Baltimore Ravens fallback position, I believe, was going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. But in order to be Jimmy Garoppolo, they were going to have to get there at the start of the market. Mm -hmm. And obviously they couldn't do that because they were still hoping to sign Lamar Jackson. So if somehow, someway, Lamar Jackson makes a deal with some other team, the Ravens are absolutely, totally left out in the cold. So to me, this does make sense and it does sort of follow my sort of, um, what's the right word to say? The only logic that I could possibly figure out, you know, after last week, which was the only thing that makes any sense is a short-term deal. So if the Ravens have offered him three years, I think he ought to take it and just walk back to the team and say, okay, look, we're going to make the best of this for the next two or three years. And if it just doesn't go well, if we continue to be at some sort of loggerheads, then this will be it, and we'll all move on, say, in 2026. 
Yeah, you know, the, the response I had to that uh, Lamar Jackson tweet was I'm not, frankly, I'm just not really sure what it means, right? Because we've heard that 133 million fully guaranteed figure from, I think, three reports out of ESPN, the latest of which was from Stephen A. Smith on First Take, where he said that Lamar Jackson's camp had called him and explained to him that that is what the Ravens fully guaranteed offer was at signing, right? $133 million. Now, I don't know what the length of that contract was or what have you. So I don't know if that is exactly what Lamar Jackson was responding to or putting out there or if it was another offer or what it's sort of, I mean, it's very difficult to know exactly what Lamar Jackson was saying because he didn't really provide any further context to that. So I don't know if, you know, I mean, we can say if that's fair or if that's not fair, but I think the notion of him sort of shying off, you know, I need an agent because I received this or, and I rejected it, or I received this, even though I didn't get an, have an agent. I, I, like I said, I don't really know what he means, but I think, Frankly, yes, it's good to have an agent in these high leverage situations. And I, I would go back to something that Charles Robinson of uh, Yahoo Sports wrote late last week, early this week. I can't quite remember exactly when it was, but he talked to several high profile agents, did not name them. And basically they all kind of took us through what it was that they would have said, what it was that they would have done in these kinds of situations for Lamar Jackson. And I mean, I don't know, Peter, but you look at Josh Allen who gets a contract after three years, you look at even Kyler Murray last year who got a contract after three years. And it was basically very clear and made very clear by Kyler Murray's agent that he wasn't going to be playing on in, in 2022 without a new contract, without new money. And so now we're in a, we're at a place where Lamar Jackson has played five years and he doesn't have any new money, right? And so right now, as he is on the franchise tag, he is slated to make $32 million in 2023. So I don't, I don't really know what we're supposed to conclude other than, I mean, I guess Lamar Jackson is now going to be able to talk to other teams and they have an opportunity to present him with different offers and get him a different offer sheet. But I don't know. I Peter, I, I just, I can't help but feeling like if Lamar Jackson had an agent and if Lamar Jackson's desire was to is to stay with Baltimore, then this situation would have been resolved by now. And Lamar Jackson would have gotten new money by now, which he has not gotten because he doesn't have a second contract. It's just, we're in this unique spot. And I, when he says, you know, and I need an agent, it's kind of my, my first reaction is, yeah, I think that you do. Because this is a prime situation and maybe the best example of what an agent can do for you versus what you're doing for yourself, especially as a quarterback in this kind of high leverage spot. Look, the fact is Tom Palacero put this very, very well um, on the Rich Eisen show one day last week. Uh, he, I mean, he put it perfectly. He basically said, look, if he had an agent, the agent never would allowed would have allowed him to take the field to play his the last two years of his contract right. after winning an MVP at 1.7 and 23 million. Yes. So and, and there's one other thing about this, Miles, that I think for everybody, Richard Sherman has said this, uh, you know, agents are overrated. You don't need one. Uh, possibly. Okay, but in this particular case, you just raised the best point that most quarterbacks, many quarterbacks, get contracts redone after three years mm -hmm. if they've had great success in the NFL. And Lamar Jackson, after winning the MVP in 2019, there was nothing he could do in year three. He had to play year three at $1.3 million. That's... It's an NFL rule, nothing you can do about it. However, yep. after that third year, he was very able at that point to do a new contract, which they went back and forth, obviously, with no agent. They couldn't do a new contract. So then he played his fourth year with no new money. An MVP in the National Football League, playing quarterback, who runs around a lot, he, he played the next year for $1.77 million. Okay, got hurt 
and missed most of the end of the season. Then he goes in and he plays the fifth year option year at 23 million. The exact same thing happens. He gets hurt in early December and he's out for the year, for the rest of the year. And what is maddening about this, maddening, is that there are those out in the player world and and fan world who say big deal. He, you know, he should be able to do whatever he wants to do. Of course he should be. But if the object is to make as much money as you can in your quarterback, or in your career rather, you have to start making the money and turning on the money faucet when you can. And in yes. a in a quarterback world, a first round draft pick quarterback world, you can do that after the third year. But Lamar Jackson, instead of turning on the spigot of getting a lot more money and already being in the middle of his second contract right now, he is fighting uh, with, with very few suitors available on the outside. He is fighting the Ravens now for his first contract after five years. Yeah. Look, players are allowed to do whatever they want to do. Teams are allowed to do whatever they want to do. But don't act like this is, it's idiotic for people questioning you. Uh, it, it's, it's, frankly, it has not been intelligent that a quarterback who has won an MVP award in year two of his career would then play the next three years without a contract adjustment. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, honestly, Peter, I, I, I agree with you, man. I mean, it, it's, it just doesn't feel right that that quarterback would have played the last three years without a second deal. And as you said, you know, you're not eligible until after year three, but this is why, and I've said this many times over the course of this off season already, if you're Joe Burrow, you're Justin Herbert, or you are Jalen hurts, you are not taking the field in 2023 without a new contract. Now, whether that contract comes, you know, in April, in May, or in July, when a lot of these deals do get done in that, you know, dead period, which I use quotes for between uh, mini camp and the start of training camp. And that is when a lot of these quarterback deals get done. Those guys are, are not participating in the 2023 season without a new deal. Right. And part of that is they all have agents who are negotiating those things for them. And the teams know this, you know, they set aside budgets for this. And it's not always going to be cap prohibitive and all these different things because teams figure out ways to manipulate the cap, sign bonuses and void years and all these other different types of things. So we're in this situation right now because Lamar Jackson does not did not get a new contract after his third year, which frankly, he probably should have. And, you know, whatever happens next, it all to me stems back from that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we've spent a long time seemingly all through this early off season about Lamar Jackson. I'll just repeat one thing that I've written a couple of times I've said. And look, I like Lamar Jackson. He is a friendly guy. He is a beacon in his locker room. His teammates love him. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I don't say this out of malice in any way, shape, or form. But the fact is, I even think the Ravens, if it's three years, 133 million, Man, the last two years, Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens have had 12 games in December and January. Lamar Jackson has started and finished one of the 12. He's missed 34% of the snaps in the last two years for the Ravens. And so to guarantee, fully guarantee his contract over the next three years, that is a risky venture for the Baltimore Ravens. However, let's move on. And let's talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers and where exactly that is. And just before we recorded, Diana Rossini of ESPN um, had a tweet about what exactly is uh, where they are in the middle of this. And look, it appears as though, Miles, that, that there is no, uh, there's no stopping Aaron Rodgers to the Jets now. Not that anybody obviously would want to stop him because that's the most logical and really the only place that Aaron Rodgers could go right now, okay? And so 
the 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 tweet from Diana Rossini basically talked about here are the guys who uh, Aaron Rodgers wants the New York Jets to sign, and mm-hmm. two of them are wide receivers, uh, Alan Lazard and uh, who am I forgetting? Randall Cobb. Uh, yeah, and Randall Cobb. Excuse me. And then the tight end, Mercedes Lewis, all mm-hmm. of which is fine and uh, is is all is all well and good. But I would just make this point to Aaron Rodgers. I would just say, look, the New York Jets right now have the rookie offensive rookie of the year in the NFL and Garrett Wilson. They've got another very talented young receiver in Elijah Moore. And... This is the thing that drives people crazy about Aaron Rodgers. Dude, you're not the general manager. And and look, I'm sure the Jets and Joe Douglas and Robert Sala want Aaron Rodgers to be happy and want him to come in fully excited about this, this team. And yeah, you need four or five wide receivers every year. I get that. The Jets have already cut loose Braxton Barrios, who I thought was a really useful puzzle piece and they've already cut him so so look I guess there's nothing wrong with saying okay Alan Lazard you're gonna be uh in the mix and and Randall Cobb you'll play 30 percent of the snaps that's all well and good but look at this team right now this team has a lot of offensive weapons and and again look Aaron Rodgers is only going to be in this position once in his life I can't imagine him going from team to team from here on out. I just, you know, this is it. This is it. But man, he's not creating a very good first impression, I don't think anyway, uh, with either Jets fans or, uh, you know, quite frankly, probably some people inside the Jets organization. Oh, Peter, I mean, why are we at this point and we still don't really know what Aaron Rodgers wants to do or what he's going to do after he said, you know, I'm not going to hold anybody hostage. And it, whether or not they've got some under the table deal or whatever, a handshake this and they're in the Jets and the Packers are still trying to work out compensation. Fine. I don't, I mean, whatever, but you know, all signs are pointing one way, but we still don't know that. And it's just this weird situation where, yeah, I mean, I guess he would like to, Aaron Rodgers would like to play with Alan Lazard and he'd like to play with Randall Cobb still. And then also in that Rossini tweet was that he would like the, uh, the jets to target um, Odell Beckham jr. You know, that's on his quote unquote wish list, which, okay, great. But, why are we acting like Garrett Wilson wasn't the offensive rookie of the year? You know, you brought up more. I mean, Corey Davis is still there. He's pretty talented too. CJ Uzama is a pretty talented tight end. I mean, he was really good for the Cincinnati Bengals. And then he contributed pretty well to the New York jets last year. Too. I mean, I'm just not really understanding exactly everything that you have to do here just to try to make Aaron Rodgers comfortable. He's the one that would be coming to a new team. And frankly, last year, a lot of what the conversation was, was, oh my gosh, the New York Jets appear to be a quarterback away. Well, if your quarterback is going to come in and the thing is already kind of ready-made and he's familiar with the offensive system, isn't it kind of incumbent upon him to also get familiar with the things that are already there, with the pieces that are already in place? So, I mean... I, the, I understand why the amazing the thing this. about the amazing thing about the Odell Beckham and I appreciate you bringing that up. It stupidly it totally slipped my mind when we started talking about this. But what's crazy about this is has Aaron Rodgers followed football over the last three years? Do you know what Odell Beckham Jr. in the last three years has done? He's averaged, averaged. Seven games a year, averaged 22 catches per year, averaged 285 yards receiving per year. So let's just think about this. A guy who over the last three years has not caught 900 yards worth of balls, who's had two ACL surgeries. You're Mm -hmm. telling the team, I want Odell Beckham Jr. Look at the money you have invested in receivers now. And then you want them. They're already negotiating with Alan Lazard. 
Okay. Yeah. And you're probably going to bring in the other teacher's pet. I mean, other huh. teacher's pets, plural. I, I mean, look, this is the way I would do this if I were Joe Douglas. Aaron, I love you. We're not signing Odell Beckham Jr., period. Yeah. We're not doing it. Unless he signs for the minimum and everything is, a, uh, is an incentive. And at the first sign of him being Odell Beckham Jr., he's gone. You know, he's, well, he's been a divisive guy often yeah. in his career. And, and where's he, where's he going to play? Okay, like, where, <laughs> again, like the, the Jets have talented receivers already. So why is it that we want to replace these guys who are on the upswing, who can come in there and really get comfortable with you? Maybe some of the talented, most talented receivers you've played with, you know, aside from Devontae Adams, as a group, especially, why are we trying to dismantle all of that just in favor of your buddies? I mean, it. If the reporting is yeah. true, then it is what it is. But yeah, I I don't know, man. That 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 one kind of baffles me. Okay, I mean, look, <laughs> we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about Aaron Rodgers. You know, probably more time Yay. than any of us really want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> but we're now gonna hear from somebody who is also a quarterback, who I don't think is making any demands on any team in the top five of this draft, other than please pick me. At the scouting combine a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to uh, spend some time and talk to C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. He will hear his name in the first four picks of this NFL draft. And now you are going to hear from him and see what kind of judgment you make about Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Here at the Scouting Combine with C.J. Stroud, the quarterback of Ohio State. So, C.J., the Combine experience, a lot of people dread it, a lot of people love it. What's been your experience so far? <laughs> Uh, yeah, my experience has been, honestly, I look at it as a blessing. And I've uh, been here for about three days now. And, of course, like you have a lot of things to uh, do and a lot of things pulling at you. But at the same time, uh, you dream about doing this as a kid. And uh, to be able to be here with uh, some of my other fellow teammates and some people I know around college football uh, trying to uh, accomplish your dreams, uh, you can do nothing but just be grateful uh, to be here. So that's, that's what I am. You had a, uh, a little interaction with Andy Reid here. Uh, the Kansas City uh, coach and the Super Bowl champion. What was that like? It was cool. I was walking uh, through the hallway. Uh, I just had got done with a formal interview with a team, and uh, I seen him. And uh, I know I didn't see him, and I just felt somebody tap my shoulder. I turned around to Andy Reid, and he usually has a lot of great things to say about me. It was kind of cool. I never thought Andy Reid knew who I was. So um, just to uh, talk to a legend for a little while, he gave me some advice, and yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. You know. Andy Reid should know who you are. You played quarterback at Ohio State. You're going to be picked in the first round of the draft. You need to up your bar of expectations of what people think about you. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I just uh, I like to stay humble, man. I don't want to walk around acting like everybody know me. I'm, I'm, I'm just my own little self in the empire. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I am. I'm just very chill. It's kind of laid back. Your path to this place is a little different from a lot of quarterbacks. Okay. Tell me about being a quarterback in Southern California and how that may have prepared you for this moment. Yeah, it was uh, definitely um, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but um, coming from Southern California where 
They, a lot of people say quarterbacks are bred. Um, that's tough because at the end of the day, you're competing against somebody every day. And um, not only in California, but across the country. Because people look at California and they want to they knock us off. So um, that's something that I, I, I took to heart. And uh, I went to work every day in high school trying to get better and better. And for a while, I was kind of overlooked. And uh, I just knew one day I would get my opportunity. I wasn't going to let the opportunity pass. And so when the opportunity came, I took full advantage and, and, and bought out. So yeah, I was, I'm blessed to be here now because of the hard work I put in before and I'll continue to put in that work. How much did playing at Ohio State prepare you for this? Big crowds, big moments, big games, your game against Georgia this year. How did that prepare you for now? Um, it, it prepared me for, like, like you said, everything. Um, not only just uh, games and, and, and throwing the ball and things like that, but um, just media, um, dealing with fans, uh, signing autographs, just like little stuff like that to where you wouldn't think that it would really matter uh, going to a school, but it does because it, it prepares you for that next level because Ohio State's a mini NFL team. So, uh, the way our fan base is based and then the way you're expected to play. So a lot of high expectations. And, um, for me, uh, that's, that's how you want it. Um, and it's a blessing. You just gotta be be happy with it and be grateful. So I really appreciate Ohio State, all the coaches, and everybody for to be here. But if it's not playing, I wouldn't be ready. So um, yeah, Ohio State definitely, definitely was a big one. A lot of people, Chris Olave told me last year that Ohio State basically, just like what you said, it's almost like a 33rd franchise, you know, in the NFL. And look, there are other schools like that, Alabama, Clemson, everything like that. Do you, from what you've been told, from what you know, do you think the leap will be smaller for you because you played at such a high level in college? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I don't really know going into it. I don't want to have any expectations or, or try to like jinx myself. So uh, I'm just going to kind of go on uh, with, with the mindset I have, and that's just being confident and being humble and uh, kind of have those, those blinders on my eyes and try to just work or uh, not to beat anybody else, but try to be the best version of myself every day. And that's something that our culture at Ohio State is. It, it, our culture, our motto is fight. And that's something because they push into us to just fight to be the best version of yourself every day, which is the hardest thing because you look in, your, you look in the mirror and can you really look, at, look back at yourself and say, okay, I'm 100% today. Or I got better in this area that I was looking to get better at. And I feel like in the NFL, that's what it's about. It's about leaving yourself in the mirror, fighting adversity, fighting those failures. And um, I feel like Ohio State does kind of get you ready because you're playing at the biggest stage every week. Everybody's watching. Everybody's talking. So um, it has some, some positives and some similarities, but I don't want to – uh, just kind of assume that it's going to be just like a high state. I want to go in there and enjoy it and find the love and, and, and the NFL, whatever team I go to. Do you find yourself competing, thinking about competing with the other quarterbacks like Bryce Young, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson? Do you watch them and do you say, here's how I stack up against them? How do you, how do you feel about your competitors? to go high in the first round. Yeah, for me, I mean, one thing that I'm blessed to be able to kind of have um, a similar background to this type of environment. Uh, of course, like you said earlier, coming from California, and me, me, Bryce, and uh, DJ really were all in the same class and age. Uh, so those were like, that was like my mini combine back in the day, was going to camp with them. Um, you went like, to the Elite 11 with yeah, them? Yes, sir. Yeah. Elite 11 and like Bible, things like that. So it's not, it's, this isn't foreign to me. And one thing that I, I pride myself on is not focusing really on anybody else. It kind of just focus on what I do and try to be the best version of myself. So, um, and, it, and it's hard to do that because everybody wants you to, to dog the other guy and compete. And, and, and that, all that, those things are great and fun, but I think uh, we got pads on. That's a good time for that. And for this, this is shorts and shorts. And, this route's on there, man. So you got to be good around Sonair. If you're not good around Sonair, I don't know what to tell you. So I'm not really trying to uh, wild nobody. Uh, uh, of course, I want to throw the ball really well, and I feel like I will. But um, I What was your decision to throw? Because some guys come here and they don't want to throw. I'm dreaming about doing this my whole life, so why not? Uh, I'm not scared to, to throw. I'm not scared of competition. I'm not scared to be out there with the guys. Uh, and at the end of the day, like it's like going to the park. Uh, if you ask me, it's like seeing that receiver at the park that you see like, oh, he fast. I mean, ask me if he plays football and he wants to throw with me. And that's something I did as a kid. So uh, I'm going to go do it uh, on Saturday. I'm excited to do that.
Last thing, tell me what is the message you want to get across when you have meetings with teams? Uh, what do you want them to know about CJ Yeah, first and foremost, I just want them to know the foundation that, I, that my family said, and that's my faith, and you know, that, that's like the forefront of my life. And of course, I'm not perfect, but um, I try to get better every day at it, and I, and I pray, and I do things different things like that, and I try to encourage people to follow Christ. Uh, so that's the first and foremost thing. And, uh, after that, I just want to be myself. I want to show my personality. Uh, I want to show that I'm unapologetic to myself, no matter what the room is like, where, who you are. Uh, I'm going to be myself, and I think that's a positive uh, person who, who wants to be great at the sport. And I think every meeting I've had so far, the teams have taught that. And, um, I've, of course, try to show my intelligence when it comes to football because I do think my IQ is very high, and that I know a lot about football. But I, and I think I try to also explain how much I can learn, how much I'm willing to learn. So. Um, those are all things I try to go in there with just uh, pure confidence, but remaining humble at the same time and just having fun. If you had your choice, who would draft you? Um, I'm not. I'm not in a position to answer that. Uh, I don't want to uh, go there. But I mean, whatever team does draft me, I mean, you're getting the, the best version of uh, CJ Stroud and best quarterback in the draft. So. CJ, have a great career. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Our thanks to CJ Stroud for his time and. Good luck to him. He's not going to go any lower than number four in this draft. And that's going to be a really, really interesting top of the draft to watch for. The amazing thing is that uh, we're not going to spend any time today because it's been a well-worn topic uh, over the last half week. Uh, Really, we're not going to spend any time saying what are the Carolina Panthers going to do in the draft. We'll have plenty of chances to do that in the coming weeks. But for now, let's hit what has happened in the last day or two and try to project a few things going forward. Miles, my first thought when I saw Jimmy Garoppolo to uh, the Raiders is in the column right after the combine, this was my guess, that Garoppolo would go to the Raiders for a very simple reason. I don't think the Raiders had a the kind of conviction about the quarterbacks in this draft that would cause them to ruin their next three drafts just to get a quarterback. And they felt they were too far away uh, than just going to draft a quarterback and trying to scotch tape everything else together. So they wanted to get the veteran quarterback who they trusted, who they were familiar with. And look, this is the reason why I can guarantee the Raiders are not happy about losing Jarrett Stidham because very simply, they know that Jimmy Garoppolo has been a, has a big injury history and they really wanted a high-quality backup for him coming in. So they don't get that, but they do get Jimmy Garoppolo. And to me, I know all the stuff that Garoppolo can't do. He doesn't have that great big deep arm, but he's played in a bunch of very big games His team has won a lot of very big games. And I like this move for the Raiders because I think mentally and and kind of in every other way, I do think that Josh McDaniels is going to have a better sort of mind meld with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo than he had with Derek Carr. Yeah, I I would tend to agree with you. I mean, and I don't necessarily mean this in a bad or pejorative way, but Derek Carr had a lot of baggage with the Raiders franchise. I mean, he was their quarterback for nine seasons, and he's played through different regimes and through all kinds of changes in a very tumultuous 2021 season. And so now when you bring in a Josh McDaniels last year, it was clear, I mean, despite the way they talked about each other publicly, that things were just not working. They weren't quite clicking between Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels. You're not going to have that problem here in 2023 with Jimmy Garoppolo. And Peter, I think you bring up a good point about their lack of conviction in quarterbacks in this class, because I believe it was Dave Ziegler and it might've been Josh McDaniels. And there's a lot of things that are NFL related going on swimming in my brain right now. So I apologize if I get it wrong, but one of them basically said in the last month or so that this quarterback solution, the long-term solution may not come this year. And so when you sign somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that really speaks to the fact that you may think that, okay, if somebody falls to us where we land in the draft in the top 10, 
then we might pick that guy, right? Or And if it's Anthony Richardson, right, if right. it's Will Levis, great. But we don't want to be hamstrung into doing that or handcuffed into doing that or whatever you, you want to say. We know that if we have Jimmy Garoppolo, we're at least going to have a viable starter. And if it does end up being Anthony Richardson or Will Levis and we have them and they can come in and they can sit back, they can learn. They're not going to be pressured to play right away unless, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. But you have that person that can be your starter, that can be that bridge guy. And that's not always a terrible role to be. And I know that everybody, if you're a quarterback, you would prefer to have a little bit more stability. But that's where the Raiders are at this point. They want to get a quarterback that they can eventually grow with, right? That Josh McDaniels can train to be, you know, his guy for the next however many years. And they can compete in Las Vegas and they can compete for championships. But until you get that guy that you are absolutely convinced can be that guy, you need somebody to play quarterback. And by bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo, you have somebody who is familiar with the offense, who is familiar with the coaching, familiar with the language, who has played in those big games and is experienced. I think that that's a good thing for the Las Vegas Raiders, especially because he's going to cost you less against the cap than a Derek Carr. What is, what is so interesting to me about the Garoppolo contract is that it is incredibly reasonable from mm -hmm. the Raiders' standpoint. It's, in essence, a two-year, $45 million contract. And to get a guy who has done as much as Garoppolo has done, who's a good veteran presence, is going to be a great guy to have on your team, uh, incredibly selfless uh, team guy all the way, uh, in essence, to pay him $22 million for each of the next two years and then get into the unguaranteed money in uh, uh, 2025, it's a great deal. The one thing about the Raiders that, that is just broken while we're doing this podcast. They will lose Darren Waller, their tight end, um, who a couple of years ago, especially like the last full year of Gruden, he was one of the league's big offensive stars. But over the last two years, he's missed 14 games due to injury. Uh, he will be signing with, uh, or I'm sorry, he will be dealt to the New York Giants. And so... That is something interesting from the standpoint that it's reasonable money, I think, on the cap this year for the Giants. He'll be in the range of $11 million. And the Giants are taking a chance that Darren Waller at age 31 can stay healthy. But if he can, it's a gigantic weapon for Daniel Jones. And to me, it isn't a very risky deal because it's not huge money. And I'm sure that the Giants have said to Darren Waller, listen, you know, we love you, uh, we want to have you, but, you know, we're not going to redo your deal until we find out, you know, whether you can stay healthy. So that's an interesting move. And I think for the Raiders, it is another way to try to save a little bit of money and to try to get a little bit healthier on offense. Yeah, and they also have a guy in Foster Moreau who is a pretty talented yeah. tight end. And, you know, I, I, I covered the Raiders in 2019, so I was around them every day. And you saw Foster Moreau sort of start to get going, and then he got hurt. And that was also the year that Darren Waller broke out. And so, I mean, Darren Waller is an incredible story just based on all the things that he has been through in his past with the substance abuse issues, the fact that he could come back and turn himself into one of the league's premier pass catching tight ends. That's remarkable in and of itself. And I, I think that, you know, him going to the giants is going to be interesting because it really does give Daniel Jones another weapon and especially a guy that can be used in the red zone. I, I'm really interested to see what Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka start cooking up for him, because that is a guy that should be really effective in that offense. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney world? Like, Hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day? or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Jarrett Stidham, no longer a Raider. Jarrett Stidham now uh, has signed a free agent contract or will sign a free agent contract with the Denver Broncos. Uh, two years, $10 million, I think it is, um, as well as Mike McGlinchey going to the Broncos. I mean, you know, the, the headlines in, in Denver, is, in essence, are now with Garrett Bowles at left tackle, Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. That is a top 10 tackle tandem in the NFL right now. That, and that'll be the biggest thing that the Broncos do in free agency, signing Mike McGlinchey. But the Jarrett Stidham thing absolutely fascinates me because last year, remember, um, when Derek Carr got benched and either boycotted or was kicked out for the last two weeks of the season uh, with the Raiders, the Raiders then had on their schedule the best defense in football, the San Francisco 49ers, with Jarrett Stidham uh, making his first Raiders start. And you think, oh, my God, this poor kid. And Jarrett Stidham went out and killed the 49ers. Now, the, the Raiders lost the game. It was a, you know one of these high-scoring affairs. But what was so interesting about it is Jarrett Stidham looked like he'd been doing this for 10 years and totally unafraid, made some great throws in this game. And I can tell you this, Miles Simmons, the Las Vegas Raiders wanted Jarrett Stidham back. And I don't think they were ready to say the job is yours, but they wanted him back and he definitely was going to be able to compete for the job and all that. So the fact that he went to Denver really does surprise me. Um, and I don't know exactly the inside story about why he did this because clearly now Russell Wilson has been put on notice. Mm -hmm. We love you. We think you have all the ability in the world, of course, but we cannot have a season out of our quarterback in 2023 that we had in 2022. So yeah. what this says to me, what this says to me is that Russell Wilson, don't worry about a thing until about November 1st. But if you stink again, we're, we're playing Jared Stidham. Yeah, and that's the situation that Russell Wilson should be in based on his play in 2022. Look, at Jarrett Stidham, it's interesting because he's going to have the opportunity to back somebody up. And, and you would think that that probably would have been what was going to go on there with the Las Vegas Raiders anyway. But I think perhaps mentally, it's a little bit better to go into a situation where you understand exactly what the role is going to be and you're not going to compete and you're not doing this and you're not doing that. When you might've felt like you kind of won the job with your performances uh, with the Raiders in the last two weeks of the season. Whereas now it's like, okay, I'm going to compete in a whole new situation. I'm going to go learn from another one of the best offensive minds in football in Sean Payton. And frankly, there will be probably a good door open at some point, if Russell Wilson plays like he did last year, for me to play and for me to show what I can do with some guys who are pretty talented there in Denver. So I, I like the opportunity for Stidham, and I like what the Broncos did with adding offensive linemen because no matter what you do, you're going to have to block people, right? And that is the foundation of, of offense is being able to block the people in the trenches better than those people can either rush you or try to defend the run on you. So with Sean Payton, the offense is going to have to be really good, right? We all know that. We all understand that. And they have to be able to build things up from where they were last year 
starting with signing offensive linemen and then also getting a backup quarterback who you think may have some potential, I think those are two good things. Let's now move to the Miami Dolphins. They Mm -hmm. add a major piece in Jalen Ramsey and a fascinating piece, at least to me, in Mike White. Just two words, two sentences or so about Mike White. What really is interesting about this and why, if I were Mike White, absolutely unequivocally, I would have done this. You know, you could either re-sign with the Jets and be part of a bizarre quarterback room that is going to include Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, or you can actually go somewhere and figure that I have a chance to play at some point this year because of the history with the quarterback, Tua Tonga-Valoa. And if I do have a chance to play, I'm going to be playing with one of the best offenses in football, with one Mm. of the most innovative offensive minds in recent NFL history. I love this move for Mike White. He has shown at times that he can be a good NFL quarterback. So I think this is smart by Chris Greer and the Dolphins. Um, I think Chris Greer is a very underrated GM. Um, and to have made this deal so early in free agency, smart move. But obviously the biggest move is Jalen Ramsey. I know you know Jalen Ramsey. Uh, obviously you uh, formerly worked with um, the Los Angeles Rams. And, you know, to me, Miles, and what I wrote is that it looks to me that the Rams are all in for 2023. The Rams are all in for 2025. Right. Yes. I think you're right about the Dolphins. Look, they, they're in a window right now where you understand that you have talented players. You understand that your head coach knows what he's doing when it comes to scheming up offense. You brought in arguably the best defensive coordinator in the league in Vic Fangio. And frankly, I think that is good enough right there to make your defense rank let's call it i don't know five to ten spots higher if not more than that and frankly i don't exactly remember what the dolphins ranked defensively last year so that's one thing but bringing in jalen ramsey is huge because and you alluded to this too he knows the system that vic fangio is going to implement because he ran it under brandon staley and basically under raheem morris once staley went to go head coach the chargers for the last couple years with the los angeles rams So Vic Fangio is going to understand how to use Jalen Ramsey. They're already going to speak the same language. And I think Jalen Ramsey, you know, despite some of the things that were said about him last year, he's still a very talented player. And you put him across or with, you know, Xavier, it's going to be a really, really good defensive backfield. And they already got Brandon Chubb or Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips. I mean, that, that defense has talent there. They've got pieces. And so I, I think that should be really exciting. Now, as for Mike White, I love it from him as well because that is the kind of person that, again, already pretty familiar with the system. Mike LaFleur ran something that's going to be very similar to what Mike McDaniel is going to run down there in Miami. So it, it's interesting when you have a quarterback who you know is a quality backup, right? And I don't know about the different weapons that he was playing with there in New York. And yeah, they've got some talent, but look, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are two of the best receivers in football as an extremely, extremely good receiver tandem. So you put those guys with him and the fact that they can run the ball really well. If Tua Tungavailoa happens to miss a couple games, which based on the history, we kind of figure that he will. He's never played more than 13 games in a season, especially now that it's a 17-game season. Those three, four games that he might miss, those are huge, huge snaps that Mike White might be able to do and might be able to fill in for you. So, yeah, I I really, really like it. Both moves that we're talking about here, and I, I really like what the Dolphins are doing so far this offseason. They're, they're putting people on notice in the AFC East. The Dolphins basically, you know, you, you, you're trying to figure out how bad they were on defense last year. They were not good on defense, uh, and a lot of that was due to the fact that they had a bad uh, – not that they have a bad secondary. Javon Holland is an excellent young safety. Xavier Howard, a very good corner. But they thought they had solved two years ago their cornerback situation by signing Byron Jones in free agency. He's not healthy enough now to go. So they've got to go out and get another premier cornerback because of all the great quarterbacks on their schedule. 
And, you know, last year they allowed a touchdown more per game than the Buffalo Bills. And if you're chasing the Buffalo Bills and trying to catch them in the standings, that is a gap you simply must narrow. Let's talk about another gap that is trying to be narrowed, the Chicago Bears. What the Bears have done so far, I think, is a fabulous... Um, it, it, is a, it is a tribute, honestly, to a team that understands how far it has to go and how quickly it needs to move to get there. Because if you look at what the Bears have done in less than a week... They have moved up and gotten uh, two additional first-round draft choices, two additional second-round draft choices, and they've gotten DJ Moore, uh, a top-20 NFL wide receiver. And, and my feeling about that trade is that, look, you can't have gotten very much more than what they got for it, moving down eight spots in the first round. So I like what Ryan Poles, the general manager, did. And then, you know, this is a team that was awful. You know, th there's some there's some interesting metrics to judge how a defense does. But one of my favorite metrics always has been, can you get off the field on third down? Okay. Yes. And the Chicago defense last year was far and away the worst defense in football at getting off the field on third down. They allowed 49% conversion on third down, far and away the worst in the league. They were one of the worst defenses in football, and what they've done is they've added two physical athletic linebackers who they hope will be sideline-to-sideline -side forces and who are, are going to need to be sideline-to-sideline -side forces. Now, the one thing the Bears won't be able to do this year, I don't think, is to get the kind of edge rusher that they desperately need. But Ryan Poles understands this. Every general manager of a three-win team obviously understands it. No matter how much cap room you have, no matter how much draft capital you have, you can't fix everything in one year. And I think Ryan Poles has done a very good job in fixing a lot in one year. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of another NFC North team in the Detroit Lions, which also sort of has gone through that method of, okay, you can't fix everything in one year, but let's start to fix certain things, and then we will continue to try and fix things. And now look at where the Detroit Lions are. And, I mean, they have so many right. good vibes heading into this 2023 season. It's kind of the process that Ryan Poles is on right now in Matt Eberflus with the Chicago Bears. I, I like what they've done so far this offseason, too. And they've got a long way to go in terms of actually making sure that all these things work out, right? Because it's like he's done a good job of setting the table or maybe buying the groceries or <laughs> selecting a recipe or whatever you know, awful analogy you want to use. But you've actually got to go out there and then execute, right? You have to be able to utilize those picks in the right way. I think picking up somebody like a DJ Moore, who is a proven receiver for somebody like Justin Fields is a great thing. We know already that he can go out there and he doesn't have to just prove himself as a rookie or this or that, right? You've already got some guys now that can help Justin Fields, but you've still got to be able to build this thing with the right building blocks. And so even though it's set up well, Ryan Poles has got a lot of work to do to make sure this thing actually turns around in the right way. And we'll see if he does it. Let's look at the 49ers in our remaining. We've got three minutes left in our pod. Um, I want to talk about the 49ers for a second. What is so interesting about signing Javon Hargrave is I did the math on this last night. And if you figure the top four guys on their defensive line, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, uh, and Javon Kinlaw, they're combined cap number this year is going to be 53 and a half million. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because my theory on the 49ers is that they know that even if on opening day they have a healthy Brock Purdy and healthy Trey Lance and one of those two guys is the starter and if, and if absolutely necessary, Sam Darnold is the starter, 
they know that they're not going to leave the NFL in scoring this year. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be, if they can be a top 12 offense, Kyle Shanahan should be coach of the year again, you know, and, and, and because they, they're not a great offense right now. Okay. They could be one, but right now they're not. So I'm sure that what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are thinking, we need to buttress our defense because we may need to play a bunch of 19 to 15 games this year. Yeah, and I've got no problem with that. You're 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 bolstering what is already your strength. And frankly, that sometimes is the best way of going about doing things. You know, the the 49ers have been a great defensive team traditionally under Kyle Shanahan, which is not necessarily something you would expect given Shanahan's prowess as an offensive coach. But for years, I mean, they've kind of told us how they want to win. They want to kick people's butt on defense, and then they want to be able to move down the field, run the ball, and kick your butt on offense too, and make the explosive plays when they're there to be made. So, I mean, yeah, the, the other part of this too on offense is they're going to have to replace Mike McGlinchey, who obviously we're talking about in going to the Denver Broncos. That's a big loss that they're going to have to deal with. So if they are able to you know, continue to play to their strength and continue to get that strength even better, I, I think that that sets up well for them. Let's end the pod with an Austin Eckler thought. I mean, here's a guy who's led the NFL in touchdowns over the last two years, who is a great uh, rushing, receiving weapon for Justin Herbert, who now wants to talk to other teams because he's getting nowhere, apparently, with the Chargers on a new contract. Miles, your thought about Austin Eckler and also just your thought about it's hard for veteran running backs to really get a lucrative additional contract after they've gotten the 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 the, the physical uh, torment and beating that a guy like uh, Austin Eckler has gotten early in his NFL career. Yeah, and Austin Eckler is an interesting case because he's going to be 28 next year for the season, and. You don't want to say, oh, man, 28 as a running back. He's past his prime. It's this. And he's led the league in touchdowns the last two years. 38 touchdowns scored. I mean, that that's points, man. That's a lot. But also, it's kind of like, well, where do you really rate Austin Eckler when it comes to great running backs in the NFL? I mean, he's had over 1,500 yards from scrimmage in each of the last two years. Obviously, he can catch the ball very, very well out of the backfield. But, I mean, when you, got, when you have a guy who's catching 100 passes from Justin Herbert, you, you want to say to yourself, well, is this because of Austin Eckler's talent or is this also because the Chargers offensive scheme was garbage and they didn't throw the ball down the field enough? I I think it's a little column A, but a lot of column B, which is why Joe Lombardi is no longer there and now they have in Kellen Moore. But if you're Austin Eckler and you're slated to make about $6 million this season and the franchise tag is 10 and you've got guys who are going to be probably playing under that if they don't get long-term deals. I'm talking about guys like Josh Jacobs, you know, um, a Saquon Barkley from the Giants, and you look at your production versus what they're doing, you're right in line with those guys. So I understand why Austin Eckler wants a third contract now. He, he, in a lot of ways, he's earned it. But at the same time, it's a roster construction question, Peter. And for me, when I think about roster construction and I think about running backs and I think about championship teams, I'm not often going to pay the running back unless, you know, maybe I got a quarterback on a rookie deal around 10 million plus to be that guy because there are running backs that come out in the draft every year. And I don't feel good about saying this because it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm totally devaluing the running back. And I don't love that. But it, it, like I said, it's a roster construction question. And especially when the last player in my mind that I have in as a running back who was dominant is Isaiah Pacheco. And he was drafted in the seventh round toward the end of it. Kind of like, man, do I really want to have this guy making this much money on my franchise when I know that a, we're going to have to pay Justin Herbert and B we've got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and they should be volume target guys. It's an interesting roster construction question. Look, the bottom line is this. And I Austin Eckler is one of my favorite guys in the NFL. He is a, he's a great interview. He's a good human being. He realizes how fortunate he's been to be where he is in life 
you know, after going to a tiny college in Colorado, being a free agent, being the last running back in camp with the Chargers. I mean, it, the story is really a great story. However, however, if you're the Chargers, you look at them and you say, you know, $6.8 million, which is what you're going to make this year. That's what we think is fair. Um, unfortunately, it's not the most fair for a guy who's trying to make as much money as he can in a limited amount of time in the NFL. But the fact is, I, I, you know, running back contracts for veteran guys, overpaying running backs is just always, always been proven to be a mistake. It's unfortunate. It's sad. I agree with you. It's not fair. Blah, blah, blah. It is life in the NFL. Running backs get beat up and then they're not worth as much anymore. But anyway, look, we'll see what happens with Austin Eckler. And I hope that Justin Herbert still has him with the Chargers. But I don't think with any running back that I'm going wild uh, trying to keep him because so many running backs are able to come in and play at a high level on day one. Miles, thank you a lot for taking all the time. This was a fun, enjoyable, educational podcast. I think we told people a lot uh, beyond what the headlines have been in free agency. Appreciate everybody joining us. I would assume that next week we're going to be back and there's a chance we're going to have some closure on those news stories that just keep on giving. Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Peter King Podcast. We'll be back here with more. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.